0: smile. Just by saying it, some of you have already responded. A smile is a little thing, and yet it has a tremendous impact and influence. (laughs) A song that was made popular by Louis Armstrong, and also Frank Sinatra. When you're smiling, When you're smiling, anybody know the next phrase? The whole world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing, the sun comes shining through. But when you're crying, you bring on the rain. So stop your sighing. Be happy again. Because when you're smiling, The whole world smiles with you. Have you ever thought of what a special thing a smile is? Those who are involved in comparative anatomy have recognized that smiling is something uniquely distinct to us as human beings. We may think our pet smiles at us. We might mistakenly think that our ancestors are in the zoo and when they bring their mouth open wide and shake their little cheeks, somehow they're smiling in joy. But the reality is they can't. Comparative anatomists have found out that human beings uniquely have more muscles in their face than any other creature. And no other creature has the muscle designed to bring up the edges of the mouth and produce produce a smile. You are made to smile. It's a God-given ability. Webster says a smile is used to express pleasure or slight amusement and it is manifested by a change in the features, especially the mouth. It's a contraction of the features, especially an upward movement of the lips, expressing pleasure, kindness, or a joyous appearance. Think of the impact of a smile. As parents, we see our son and daughter toddling around and when they have that little smile on their face and come running toward you, you just want to scoop them up, give them that big hug because of how they just capture your heart through that smile and laughter. You're going for a job interview. You're sitting in a classroom. It's a new professor you haven't had before. They have a stern face. You're very uncomfortable. But when that interviewer or that professor or that boss has a smile on his or her face, boy, it puts you at ease, doesn't it? Just a small little thing. And yet what a great impact it has. It puts people at ease. We find it's contagious. It causes others to want to smile and laugh as well. It expresses happiness and joy. Sitting there, and you begin to smile because you've been thinking. It's looking at some thoughts that give you an idea of well-being, contentment. It's good. All from a smile. It ought to tell us that God must have a reason why it is He uniquely designed for His people to be able to smile. And that no other creature is capable of doing it. And it ties right in with what we've been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been saying, we're not going to ignore what's going on in the world. We're not going to sugarcoat the circumstances that are here for us as human beings, gone through life. We recognize that all human beings face the certainty of death. We realize that life is hard. It's filled with struggles and difficulties, disappointments. And we understand, as God tells us in the Word, that the reason for both the pending death for each one of us And the reality of the difficulties that we face in life is because there's none good, no, not one. We're sinful beings. And we're under the judgment of God and physical death is what yet awaits us. But in light of that reality, it doesn't mean God's people become individuals who live in somber gloom. In fact, it is only God's people who have any reason to smile. And so many of our Christian hymns reflect that reality. In Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, where Solomon is looking at reality, where none of us knows for certainty what tomorrow will hold, not even what the next hour will hold, we recognize, that we live in a world full of hate and evil and difficulty. So he says in verse 7, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your work. Let your clothes be white at all time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Now I've said it repeatedly, you're probably getting tired of hearing it, but it's important for us to remember, Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books of the Bible, and it deals with that profound question for every one of us, where are we going to find meaning, fulfillment, and satisfaction in life? And the reason why it's important for us to review that idea is because we are drawn at times, especially by the ideas that the people of the world have, that real fulfillment, real satisfaction, real meaning, real happiness is found in the temporal. And what Solomon wants us to understand is that the temporal things will never give us a sense of meaning and purpose, fulfillment and development and uh, satisfaction in life. We may enjoy it for a moment. It may have a transitory sense of uh, euphoria, but the reality is it always (coughs) leases up short and we want something more. So in uh, chapters 1 through 6, he develops the idea that nothing of this world will give lasting satisfaction. And in chapters 7 through 12, he brings about the deductions from it. So if it's not to be found in the things of this world, where is it to be found? A God-centered life. And a God-centered life does not mean that one is to undergo a miserable form of existence. What we saw last time is one of the great themes in the book of Ecclesiastes is found in the refrain where Solomon keeps saying that here's what I've seen the best thing to do. Enjoy your day. Enjoy the provisions God's given you. Be a person who has joy in your situation in life. And with that, not only is it a refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes, but if you will read through the book of Psalms, do you not hear the expressions of joy on the part of the psalmist? That is to be joined by all of God's people as they offer praise and thanksgiving to God. When we come to the New Testament, it isn't any different. We find that in the New Testament, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And so Solomon comprehends life is difficult. The sinfulness of man and the certainty of death is a reality that we all have to face and deal with every day of life there is also the reality that not only is life hard and difficult, it's uncertain. Not any one of us knows what will happen to us tomorrow, this afternoon, the next hour. But thankfully, it's all under the control of God. And with that reality, the conclusion Solomon makes, so... He says, so then, in light of this reality, here's what you're to do. And what we had looked at last time is the fact that Solomon says that the best way to live life is to be cheerful and enjoy the provisions God has made. In an earlier chapter, as he was developing his theme, he said, an individual... Who goes through life and doesn't enjoy the good things that he has is an individual who has a miserable form of existence. It'd be better for that individual that he never be born than to have the benefits of what God has provided each day and not to enjoy them. Some people tend to be misery lovers more than others. But we probably all tend to have that as a propensity within us. When we sit and we have discussions with individuals, it's almost like at times people like to show their one-upness on how much more they have to suffer or go through than others have to suffer and go through. It's almost as if it's our badge of uh, success or uh, humanness. It's never fun to be around those people, is it? The individuals who moan and groan and always complain. The individuals to whom nothing is never right. They never can find any sense of satisfaction in anything. It's not to be that way for God's people. God is the one who's controlling the events in the life of his children. Paul says it very clearly in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. In a verse that we know that I trust we apply when we face some of the difficulties of life regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how difficult it may be, do you recognize we know that God is working all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Why is it you're going through, you have what you have right now? Because God in wisdom has brought to pass what is for your best good to prepare you for glory and at the same time to provide for your needs as you go through each day. So go then. Eat your bread in happiness. The reality that God's people are to be a people who enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given. A number of years ago, in some discussions with a man you know, Charles Ryrie, he was interacting with some people about serving God. And one of the comments he made was that so often individuals in Christian ministry and service, they give the misguided perception that serving God and doing what God says is contrary to what we want. The individuals would say something like, well, I never wanted to do this, but this is where God placed me. I'm serving the Lord. God's people are individuals who have the great privilege of serving the Lord wherever He might call them to do so. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, stated to them, in light of the reality of the triumph of Christ in the resurrection, be steadfast and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing What? that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I mean, any small little act of kindness, the way in which you manifest the savor of Christ to the life of others, is all part of God's design to further His kingdom and the earth. And it's a great blessing. Ryrie's conclusion was, those who are privileged to serve the Lord, be it in the mission field or in a place of public ministry, ought to recognize what a great joy it is to be able to serve God. What a great joy it is to be an instrument in His hand and to be used for His glory. And his comment was, what's wrong with enjoying what God's called you to do? Now, can I break that down for all of us in our daily life? What is your occupation in life? Why are you doing what you're doing? It's because it's God's calling for you. Are you enjoying it? Are you recognizing it's not only the way in which God is providing for your temporal needs, but also the way He's using you to manifest Christ, to bring His witness to a world in darkness that your light might shine in a way that it brings glory to Him. That's all Solomon is saying here. He says, in light of the reality that life is uncertain, we know it's going to be difficult, what ought to characterize God's people? Well, he speaks about those characteristics. He begins first by saying, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. If we would summarize this truth, the first thing that should characterize God's people is that God's people are individuals who appreciate and enjoy the blessings that God gives. I mean, if Jesus told us, give us this day our daily bread, if that daily bread happens to be manna in the wilderness, I hope you're not going to be like the Israelites and murmur and complain and say, the only thing we have to eat is this manna. We don't even know what it is. The reality is what you have is God's provision for you. And what you ought to do is appreciate His gift. Appreciate His provision. And at the same time, enjoy it. Just think of how that's expressed by David in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that right? Isn't He the one that makes me to lie down in green pastures? Isn't He the one that leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake? Isn't He the one that even in the presence of my enemies He sets a table before me? Isn't He the one who's filled your cup to how far? My cup overflows. God's hesed, His covenant faithfulness, His goodness and mercy will follow me how long? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All the days of my life. And You know what you have to look forward to? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are blessed. God has given you the provisions of today. When Paul offset some of the false teaching, which would say, well, if you abstain from certain temporal things, this is going to make you more spiritual or better. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, not at all, because God's given us all things to be... uh, thankfully receive and to enjoy. It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. So I trust that when you sit down and you're ready to partake of your daily bread and you say, Lord, thanks for this food, that it's not just a rote prayer that you've learned, but it's a genuine expression of your joyful appreciation that God has so provided for you. One of the first things that is to characterize the people of God is that these are individuals, regardless how abundant or how sparse that provision might be, they have a sense of appreciation, a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, a sense of enjoyment in the provisions that God has made. Not only that, but notice he states at the beginning of verse 8. The second thing to be characteristic of God's people as they go through life. Let your clothes be white at all times. White clothes. Well, when we look at the culture in which it was given, those clothes were often used, the white robes or garments, in a time of celebration or festivity. But in addition to that, we know symbolically clothing begins to portray something of the character and the conduct of the individual. For example, if you go to the book of Revelation, and in the 19th chapter, John is told by the angel that the bride has made herself ready, speaking of the church as the bride of Christ, to return with the Lord in triumph to the earth to establish the kingdom. And it says, it has been granted to her to be clothed in white linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. So symbolically, what it is saying when uh, Solomon writes, let your clothes be white at all times, is that God's people should be characterized by righteousness. God's people should be unique and set apart and distinct. God's people should be known for their purity as they live in this world. Not in some sanctimonious way of Pharisaism where we put a whole bunch of regulations and we think, now look at how much better we are. But a righteousness not of our own derived by the works of the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. A recognition that the beauty of Christ is really seen in the character, in the conversation, and in the conduct of God's people. Let your clothes be white at all times. To be people who are rejoicing in the privilege of manifesting the very savor of Christ. Not only that, he says, let not oil be lacking on your head. And we know symbolically that oil in the Scripture became a picture of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit, He was the one that enabled or empowered certain individuals for their positions of ministry and service. And in the same way, we know in the New Testament we have all received of that same Spirit and we have an anointing that has come from Him. So no one wants to discount the reality of the oil as a picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon the people of God. If that's the case, you recognize that part of what the Holy Spirit creates within God's people is joy, isn't it? But more importantly, in this culture and in this context, it became a picture of joy happiness and uh, festivity on the part of the people of God. In other words, if you look over in the book of Isaiah 61, as we contemplate the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what it says. In fact, Christ quoted this, when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, that the Spirit of the Lord God was upon him, because the Lord had anointed him to bring the good news to the afflicted. And he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. But notice what it indicates that Christ is going to do for his people. In verse 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, for what reason? That He may be glorified. The idea of the use of the oil was a way of expressing that there was reason to rejoice and to be happy in one's portion in life. Back in the Psalms, we find that it's stated in Psalm 104, God is the one who causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. In some ways, it was an early form of uh, skin treatment. Add a little moisture to it. But it made the face glisten. It was an expression of joy and festivity. Solomon saying again, God's people are to be joyful people. Then he says, enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. This is your reward in life and in your toil in which you labor under the sun. We recognize two things that are indicated here. Number one, the provision of a wife is a gift from God. Solomon stated in the book of Proverbs, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. We know that that was part of God's design in the very beginning in Genesis 2. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make that counterpart, that helper that's suitable for him. In other words, God made man to be a social being. And in God's wisdom and in God's design, a spouse is not necessarily what He is ordained for each individual. But what we learn from that is that the design of God to provide that wife for the individual is to grant that individual a companion. To provide that individual with a social being that they can share life with. And For some of us it has to do with friends or maybe relatives or others. They're not made to be by yourself. It's all part of God's plan and God's design to enjoy life with others as you contemplate the provision and the blessing that God has given. It is also true that as Solomon declares this statement, he is indicating that even life itself is a gift that's come from him, isn't it? Why do you have being and existence? I go to the book of Revelation and I hear that great declaration. Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor, dominion and authority. For by your will, all things were created and have their existence. You exist not because you're a product of evolutionary chance. You exist because God ordained your existence. Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been formed in the womb according to His design and His direction to make you that unique being that is used to bring glory to His name. Chapter 3, Solomon is the one that said God made everything appropriate for its time. He's the one that ordained the time to be born. He is also the one that ordains the time to die. It's all under His control. And with whatever you have in the way of a spouse, whatever you have in the way of friendships, companionships, as you share life with others, you recognize life itself and those social relationships that I have are all gifts that have come from God and meant to be enjoyed as we go through life. God's people are to be thankful people. So what is it? What's the premise that's underlying all that God uh, is saying to us through Solomon? The first is the reality that God's people are to be people who enjoy life regardless of their circumstances. And if you've read any biographies of other saints, you have found individuals who have gone through some times of great difficulty, and yet they were still joyful people. Now part of that is the reality that whatever my lot may be, you know what you can tell your soul? It is well with my soul. Why? Why? Because Christ has regarded your helpless estate and shed his own blood for your soul. And if God did not withhold that which was most precious to him, his own beloved son, how will he not with Christ, with him, freely give us all things? regardless of your situation in life. God is the one who has ordained what's for your best good. And there is a reason for joyfulness on the part of the people of God. If you remember when Paul said to the Ephesians, you know, don't be drunk with wine, that just leads to dissipation, but in contrast, what are you to be? be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that idea is instead of being controlled by external stimuli, you're to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And as an individual that's controlled by the Spirit of God, you're going to be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That right relationship with God brings about a joyful expression of gratitude and praise and satisfaction in your Lord. We have that hymn, more secure as no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. Because what the Father gives or what He takes, it shows the Father's love so precious. We may trust His purpose wholly because it's his children's welfare solely. That hymn writer stated in that hymn, So then, little flock, to joy then yield thee. Jacob's God will ever shield thee. Rest secure with this defender, at his will all foes surrender. God's people are to enjoy life regardless of the circumstances, knowing that God is the one who controls life and accomplishes what is the best good for His people. Now notice a little statement that Solomon makes that I have to emphasize as I end. For he states in verse 7, here's my conclusion. Chapter 9. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Why can you do it? For God has already approved your works. Now if I put it back into that historical, cultural context, there's a way in which we could say an Israelite recognized regardless of their spiritual condition, that they were in a special place of favor by covenant relationship with God. And at least we can understand that Solomon was reminding them of the fact we're not excluded from the covenants of promise. We're not living without hope in the world. We're part of the commonwealth of Israel. With whom God has given us special promises and blessing. But even more importantly, that statement is genuinely for God's people. The only place of approval with God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in Him that one has acceptance. With God and becomes the object of God's unconditional favor. Isn't it a great blessing to know that as a child of God, you're not on a performance scale before God? God doesn't love you more because you did something right, He doesn't love you less because you did something wrong. He may have to discipline us for the things we do wrong. But we are loved by Him as Jesus Christ Himself is loved. We are kept in His care and always the object of His favor. And that's why the other thread throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, in addition to rejoicing in the Lord and in His provisions is the fact that the person that is in the place of favor and well-being is the person that fears God. And his life is characterized by his loving devotion, his desire to please, and his genuine expression of love and gratitude to the Lord that has redeemed and blessed him in Jesus Christ. So God may have made it that all human beings have the unique ability to smile. And we can recognize that when you're smiling, when you're smiling, it's contagious. The whole world will smile with you. But if you're not one of God's children, it's an empty smile. It's got no substance to it. But if you're one of God's children, whatever your lot, whatever your proportion in life, whatever he gives or whatever he takes, it's showing the Father's love so precious. You are made to smile. Your sins are forgiven. God loves you in Jesus Christ. He'll never leave you, forsake you, nor abandon you. He's the one that's begun the good work in you. And he'll bring it to that completion. And what yet awaits you is that blessed hope that the trumpet is going to sound and the dead in Christ will be raised first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and will forever be with the Lord. And do you know what you're going to find in the presence of the Lord? The fullness of joy forevermore. We are so blessed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.